Good morning, everybody. Soon to be afternoon. By the time I'm done, it will be the afternoon. For those of you who are new here, I'm Chris Dirksen. I'm the main teaching pastor here at Southland. And uh, we're working our way through, the seri- through a series on the Sermon on the Mount, okay? And the Sermon on the Mount, for those of you maybe who uh, don't know much about your Bibles, you're just new to the faith, uh, is uh, Jesus. It's, it's the biggest uh, message, single message that Jesus gives to us in the Bible. And it's ma- it's, it takes up three chapters, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, okay? And, uh, and basically, it's his manifesto of what life in his kingdom looks like, all right? And so we're just working our way in this series. We're just working our way through chunk by chunk, chunk by chunk. I'm not picking pieces of the message of his sermon and preaching them. We're working our way right from beginning to end, okay? And so last week we looked at verses 21 to 26 in Matthew chapter 5, which is the whole part there about uh, murder and angry words and reconciliation. I heard some amazing testimonies this past week. You know, when people uh, obey what Jesus is saying, it's amazing how Jesus' spirit begins to work. And so incredible, people reconciling with each other and going back, stuff that was years in the past and, and making things right. And awesome, Jesus' name is being glorified. Today we come up to the next bunch of verses in the Sermon on the Mount, which is verses 27 to 30, and it's about lust. All right, so I'm going to read to you, and we'll get into this. Verses 27 to 30, you have heard that it was said... You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell, okay? So we're talking about lust, and just again, this is not, I didn't pick this topic. One of the things I, I love about just preaching our way through chunks of Scripture, like we did in this series, in the previous series to this, we worked our way through re- the first three chapters of Revelation. One of the things I like about just working through a whole chunk of Scripture is, if I'm picking the topics every week, um, probably we're going to get imbalanced at some point because I'm just a human being and I'm probably going to overhit some topics. I'm going to miss some other topics that would be really important to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit for our church. When you work your way through a chunk of scripture, I'm not picking the topics. We're just working our way through and we're just seeing what is God saying to us. Okay, and so we're just working our way through Jesus' message. I didn't think to myself, you know, I really need to hit some people on lust today. We're just following Jesus' message. Okay, so this is important to Jesus. All right? And some of you might be sitting there already and you might be thinking to yourself, oh, Chris, you're so harsh in your messages. All right? But I just want you to remember, again, I haven't said anything about lust yet. I've just read Jesus' words, right? And that is really important to remember because nowadays there's a lot of this, what, what goes on is we have this consumer mentality in churches and a lot of people, they're comparing who's their favorite preacher. Yeah, I like this guy, you know, he's more hard on sin. Or I like this guy, he's bigger on grace. And, and, and I, in fact, I hear preachers, I see uh, articles and stuff, uh, preachers now who talk about, hey, I just, I'm, I'm thinking of a famous one. I just read about this week again. Famous preacher, and he talks, he's very proud. I just, I preach the grace message. I preach the grace message. And people talk about how I've been set free by the grace message and all this kind of stuff. And I just always think that's actually, that's actually the wrong way to, to look at it. I don't, I don't preach the grace message. I preach Jesus, okay? Grace is a character trait that Jesus has. But nobody gets set free by this thing that stands on its own, which is grace. Grace is a character trait of Jesus. We're set free by a person, 
Jesus. And he has many character traits, not just grace. Thankfully, he has grace. I love that he has grace towards us. We can be thankful for that one. But we need, to, we need to hear about more. We need to hear about the whole person. We need to know him. We need to have a relationship with him. Uh, he has many other character traits. We need to feel the heat of his holiness. If we're ever going to have life, it's the person Jesus who gives us life. We're going to have to feel the heat of his holiness. Sometimes we're going to have to feel convicted by his truth and exposed by his truth. We're going to have to be in awe of his sovereignty and power. And we're going to have to be thankful for his grace and his love. And it all comes together in this package, this real person you can have a relationship with and talk to and listen to. And his name is Jesus and he's really amazing. And so we don't preach here itself and we don't just preach grace. Or we don't just preach repentance. Those are all pieces of different messages. What we preach is a person, Jesus, and you need to have a relationship with him. And so what we need to do is not try and figure out what message do I like better to hear or what message do I like better to preach. What we, we just have to do one thing. Just study the life and words of Jesus and all the words that he's given us in his word, the Bible, and just follow that. And some of those words are going to be very tender, and some of those words are going to be very strong. But what we need is all of them because what we need is Jesus, all of him. Amen? All right? And so today, I didn't pick this topic. I, you know, it's just, we're just following through Jesus' words. And you can see in this passage of Scripture, there's an urgency to his words. He's serious about these words. And so we're going to talk about them, all right? And so I'm going to pray now. But just before I do that, there's one more thing I want to say. You may be here today, uh, and you may have uh, small kids or young kids with you in the service today. I don't know, 7, 8, 9, 10, whatever you consider, small or young. Um, and, uh, but anyway, you're talking about this passage. I am going to have to talk about sex repeatedly, okay? Just so you know. Uh, I'm not going to, I promise you, I will not do it in a profane or gratuitous way. Of course, I will not do that. But if you're sitting here and you have a young kid with you in a service and you would rather they not hear the word sex 250 times at church this morning, I'm going to pray and you can, that would be a great time. You can take them out to Kids Men or out into the lobby and maybe you just want to listen to this with them later online that when you can pause it and talk with them about stuff. Or maybe you just don't want, maybe they're just not ready to hear it at all and you just want to hear it on your own. It's totally fine. I'll, I'll pray long enough that you can get up and get them out, okay? <laughs> all right? So that's just my warning. After this, I just have to talk about sex. I can't go through this passage and not talk about sex, okay? And so I, I don't want to have to apologize for that. I just want to make sure you know that up front because it's important. You know where your kids are at, all right? And it's good to have your uh, kids in the service sometimes too. It's great. All right, let's pray and we'll get into this. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we love you. We don't just love your character traits. We do thank you for your grace, which is wonderful. And we do thank you for your love, but we also thank you for your holiness, which is also wonderful. We thank you for your, uh, your righteousness and your truth. Every bit about you, Jesus, we love. We don't want to make an idol out of one part of you. We want the whole you. And so I thank you, Jesus, that you are a real person, that you want to have a relationship with us. And I thank you for these words. These words on the surface, they, are, they might seem harsh to some people, but they are life. If we will just put your words into practice, they are life. So give us life as we listen to you and follow you this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, and we looked at this last week, we're 
Here in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, there's this formula. We see it over and over and over again in this chunk of the Sermon on the Mount. We just started last week, which is Jesus is taking important commands out of the Old Testament. He says, you have heard that it was said of old. Last week we saw Jesus talking about murder. He said, you have heard of, that it was said of old, um, you shall not murder. This week he pulls out, you shall not commit adultery, also from the Ten Commandments, just like last week. And he's not canceling these laws. He's interpreting them. But I say to you, he's not canceling them. And as we saw last week, he's bringing them to life. And remember last week we looked at, we, we said how the Old Testament laws give us kind of a basic sketch of what a life that pleases God looks like. And so in the commands, we have a basic sketch of what righteousness and holiness looks like, okay? And in the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is doing is he's not going, hey, I'm done with those laws. What he's doing is he's pulling them out of the closet again. He's taking this basic black and white sketch and he's adding in details and he's filling in color and he's bringing these laws to life so that we can really see them in their fullness to see what does a life of holiness that pleases God really look like. So last week we saw you shall not murder and Jesus said it's so much bigger than just you shall not murder. It's actually about how you treat people. It's about anger. It's about the words you use with people. It's about treating people like they have value, right? And, and so now this week we're going to see with adultery, Jesus is saying you have heard it was said of old, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, and he's going to show us that it's it's so much more than just don't explicitly commit adultery. You can go through your whole life and obey the letter of that law and you don't explicitly go and have sex with someone who's not your spouse and you can still live a totally impure life on the inside. And what Jesus is going to show us is that sexual purity, life, what is eternal life? Eternal life is not just having sexual purity on the outside, it's having sexual purity on the, on the inside, Right? And so he says, but I say to you, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And that's so true, but it's so much more than that. But I say to you, okay, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You know, a, a relationship with Jesus, eternal life. We often talk about eternal life and people we default to eternal life is about quantity of life. We're going to live forever. Or when we think about heaven, we think, what's, what's going to be so amazing about heaven? Well, what's going to be so amazing is all the big mansions and the streets of gold and we'll never get sick again in the city. And amen, all those are wonderful, true. You know, some of the stuff that makes heaven so amazing is we'll never die, we'll never get sick, there's great places to live, the food is amazing, Jesus is there, it's all amazing. But do you want to know half of why heaven is so amazing? is not just the outside stuff that makes heaven so amazing. It's the fact that on the inside, you'll be holy and righteous and good. You won't have any more dirty, impure, bad, angry, murderous thoughts. That's half of it. Half of what makes heaven so good is the outside. Half of what makes heaven so good is what's going to be on the inside. That's what Jesus is talking about here. You can have purity on the outside. That's, that's a good start. Obviously, we should not do immoral things on the outside. But Jesus says it's so much more than that. You can have purity on the outside, but on the inside, you can be full of darkness. And actually, that's hell. That's not heaven. That's not life. That's not eternal life at all. Eternal life is so much more than quantity of life. We're going to live forever. Eternal life is quality of life with Jesus that we can begin to live today. To have freedom and purity and holiness and goodness in our hearts today. And so you don't just have to explicitly get in bed with someone who's not your spouse to feel the sting of death from sexual impurity. You can feel that, that sting already just from lust. And you say, well, what's, what's so bad about lust, okay? Well, before we can 
answer the question of what's so bad about lust, there's two questions we have to talk about first. First, we have to look at what lust is not, and then we have to look at what sex is for, okay? Before we can see why lust, because, I mean, you see in this passage, Jesus is really urgent about lust, okay? But and it's, a, it's heaven and hell urgency with him. It can destroy your soul, okay? But before we can see why that is, we first have to look at what lust is not, and then we have to look at what sex is for, and then we're going to understand this thing better, all right? So first of all, what lust is not, okay? This is really important. Because the devil gets a lot of people feeling hopeless in their fight for purity, in their fight against lust. He gets a lot of them feeling hopeless before they've even lusted. And he wants them actually to give up. And, and he wants them to have an impossible thought in their mind of what, of what purity looks like so that they'll give up and they won't fight for it. Okay? And so the first thing I want to say this morning, before we even talk about what lust is and why it's so dangerous, we first have to get out of the way what lust is not. And the first thing you have to understand is lust is not attraction. Okay? Lust is not attraction. Okay, this is really, really important. Attraction is part of how God made the genders. He made male, he made female. He made there to be an attraction, a dynamic between the two, that they recognize each other as being different, they relate to each other differently, and part of that is attraction. So you have a young man walking down the street, and it's almost like he's got a little radar in his head. He can be totally on his phone doing stuff, texting, whatever not, totally not thinking about the world around him, and he, there could be a hundred other people on that street. He doesn't notice any of them. He can't remember any of them. A pretty girl walks by on the other side of the street or the corner of his eye. That radar is there. Bing! He, look, he sees. Right? Is that not true? Okay? Now that is not lust. Some people think, oh, you oversex pervert. Right? You saw a pretty girl. How did you notice her and you didn't notice that guy over there? You know, like, nobody notices me. I walk down the street. They don't notice me. Okay? <laughs> pretty girl. Oh, what was that? Right? Okay? But that's part, of a, that's, that's part of attraction, actually. It's actually how God made it. You can't help that. It's not even a choice. It, it, it's just there. Now, what you do with it next, that can lead to sin. Definitely. We'll talk about that. But attraction itself is not a sin. And, uh, you know, I pray with guys, and sometimes they come in, and the stuff that they're confessing, I have to stop them. You know what? You don't confess that part. You're feeling guilty for something. That's not a sin. Okay? I mean, it starts young, right? I mean, last year, I remember we were on a hike, with the kids, at the end of the hike, there's this cave. We're in this cave where, uh, you know, Charlie was just about five years old. And we're, we're exploring in there and climbing around. And, and all of a sudden, at one point, he's in the cave. All of a sudden, he's, he's going crazy. He's risking his life. He's jumping off of huge boulders. He's climbing up dangerous, uh, you know, dangerous places. And he, he's going, and I'm going, what just happened to him? Okay? And then I hear a noise. A couple minutes later, I hear a noise. I look back, and at the entrance of the cave, a young family had just walked in with two little girls about his age. <laughs> ah... I know what's going on. Now, he couldn't even explain to you. If you asked him, why are you suddenly intent on defying death? He would not be able to tell you. It, something just happens, right? Suddenly, woo, he's crazy. He's out of control, okay? Now we laugh, and hey, that's cute, five-year-olds, but it doesn't actually go away, does it, guys? I mean, you've watched 19, 20-year-old guys are shooting around lazily, shooting hoops on a basketball net or something on a summer night. Two girls show up, and suddenly this thing is the NBA Finals, isn't it? <laughs> They're pulling muscles and diving, and it's all out war. Why? It's just, that's the way God made it. That's not lust. Okay? You're talking to a person, and you think, what an attractive person. A girl might think, what a handsome uh, you know, guy, or what an attractive person, and they have inner qualities and outer qualities, and they're just attractive, and you can't help that. That's not a choice. It just, it just is. 
and it's how God made it, okay? And so that's not sin. That's not something you need to confess. In fact, God made it that way for a reason. Attraction is important uh, for, for marriage and in marriage. And by the way, I should just say, you know, about like Charlie and stuff like that, um, you know, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, we just have to walk our kids through this. Our kids are going to be attracted. I remember when he first started noticing to me, this is not that long ago, when he first started saying to me, hey, Dad, she's pretty, isn't she? And he would just, because he had no inhibitions, right? And uh, she's pretty or she's pretty. I didn't, at first I'm like, oh, we're here already, right? And I'm freaking out, I don't even know what to say. I didn't want to have this talk for like three, four years yet. I'm not, I haven't read the books. I don't know what to do. And I remember I prayed about it, and the first thing Jesus said is, uh, actually, aren't you glad that he thinks that girls are pretty? Oh, I guess that is kind of healthy, isn't it? <laughs> okay, good. And now I have to help him channel it, right? I have to help him channel that attraction into treating them respectfully, opening doors, you know, give her a coat if it's cold. I, we, we can teach our kids to channel attraction in modesty and respect and doing that stuff, but the attraction itself is good. It's from God, and it's important for and in marriage, Okay? I mean, the first thing that got me pursuing LaDawn for marriage was not her godly character. Let's just be honest, okay? Anybody who tells you differently, most of them are lying. Maybe every once in a while there's an angel out there. I don't know, but it, I saw her at a young adult bowling event, okay? I was leading young adults at the time, and we had bowling events so that I could find a wife. And um, <laughs> so we had a bowling event, and uh, I saw her, and I had known her before, years before in high school, but we didn't really know each other. And I just saw her at that event, and she was very pretty. Really, really attractive to me, okay? So now, that's, you don't only marry someone because they're attractive. That would be dumb. But that's what gets you the first step to now, now I want to pursue this a little further. Does she have godly character? Are we compatible? All that sort of stuff. You do got to find that stuff out too. But the first thing that, that pulled me in, that's the way God made it, is the magnetism of attraction, Okay? And so attraction is an important component that helps us treat each other properly among the, the sexes, hopefully, as long as we channel it right. It's part of what, you know, gets people to expend energy in getting married. And then once you are married, it's also important in the marriage because attraction is part, it's not the only thing, but attraction is part of what in the marriage drives two people to pursue each other and have passion in their marriage, Right? I mean, this is all very good. I would never pray. Sometimes people feel so guilty about lust that they're praying prayers that basically almost amount to God take away my attraction. I would never pray that for a person. That's unhealthy to even be there, okay? Um, and, and, so, and so in marriage then, now you have this, because marriage is so much more. It's not a business partnership, that's for sure. It's much more than a friendship. It is that. I mean, marriage certainly you know, encompasses friendship. It, it's also much more than a ministry partnership. You know, sometimes I see young couples and they, they're passionate for God, and that, I love that. And because couples that aren't passionate about God don't have this problem. But sometimes couples that are passionate about God, they have a problem with over-spiritualization, and they think of marriage as it's purely just a ministry partnership. We just serve God and do spiritual things together all the time. Did you know what? Actually, yeah, marriage should include ministry, of course. I mean, if two people love Jesus and they're giving their whole lives to Jesus, there's going to be a lot of service and ministry in that marriage. But marriage is so much more than a ministry partnership. You can have ministry partnerships with lots of people in your life. You don't need to be married to them for that. What's different about marriage? God tells us the purpose for marriage. We're at the beginning, Genesis 2.24, and he says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Those are passion words hold fast become one with his wife 
Now, he doesn't say, obviously, two people who put Jesus first, there's going to be ministry and service in that marriage, and that'll be a huge component of their marriage. But notice that in a purpose, but you can have that purpose with all your relationships, and he doesn't say here that the reason they get together is so they can do ministry together, even though, of course, yes, if you both love Jesus, obviously you will do that. We're not talking about just being worldly couples here. Obviously not. But Jesus says the defining thing about marriage is it's this relationship of passionate intimacy, okay? It's so much more than just doing spiritual things together. There's romance. There actually should be, that's spiritual. It's actually obeying God. It's actually following his purposes to have romance in the marriage and have attraction and have heat. In fact, you want to attract people to God? You want to really attract people to God as a married couple? Have some passionate heat in your marriage. That's what people are attracted to. I want a marriage like them. They actually are in love with each other. They don't just, they're not just nice to each other. They don't just do ministry together. They passionately love each other. Okay, so that is not unspiritual. And attraction is a hugely important part of that. And attraction is part of, of the sexual intimacy, that there should be this romantic, passionate heat that is physical and emotional and spiritual, that we are in love with each other as well. And a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That, having a marriage like that, is, is actually important to God. It's part of his purposes. It is not unspiritual, and we should expend money and time and energy in order to achieve it, not making that an idol, but as part of following Jesus and ministering and serving, all right? And this brings, so, so first off, lust is not attraction. Attraction is part of what a healthy human being will have as a male or a female, all right? And this brings us up to now attraction is also part of the sexual relationship after marriage between a man and a woman. And this brings up what is sex for? Sex is not just, our culture will tell you, sex, it's just a bodily function. Okay? Sex is so much more than just a bodily function. We'll look at this more later in the message as well. But sex has a purpose, and the purpose is taking two people in marriage, a man and a woman, and making them one. It's actually about intimacy. The, the deepest craving of the human heart, did you know this? And it's not just m women, it's men too. They just sometimes hide behind it because they come at it from the avenue of sex when it comes to marry, marriage. But the biggest desire, yearning in the human heart is intimacy. Intimacy with God, but intimacy with other people as well. To be known by someone and to know them and to have them love me for who I am. We all deeply want that. And when you get that from God and from others, it, it fills you with joy and it fills you with satisfaction, it's, it's really wonderful. And sex is within marriage, because that's a unique relationship. You don't need to be married to have, to have intimacy. You can be known by people and loved by people, obviously, in many different relationships. That's very important, whether it be family, close friends, whatever. But there's a unique level of intimacy and a unique kind of intimacy you can only have in marriage, though a oneness intimacy. And that part is, that's sex. And attraction and sex together make this heat this glue that bring two people together, and they're not just ministry partners, and they're not just friends. They're one. There's this heat there. There's this romantic, passionate, attractive heat between them. And that is not unspiritual. That is good, okay? Now, I'm going to go on just a second here. We just need to, I just need to pause for a moment, and, and we're, going to go, we're going to keep going with what lust is not and what sex is for so we can get to why Jesus is so passionate in this passage about getting rid of lust in our lives. But I just want to put it on pause now, and I want to talk to a group of people. Some of you, there will be people here like this today, this morning, here in the service. And some of you, as I'm talking about all this, 
you are feeling very lonely here today. You are feeling very lonely as I talk about a man being attracted to a woman and a woman being attracted to a man and that's how God made it and it's so important. And as I talk about this, you are feeling very lonely and very left out because you have a deep struggle in your heart and you are attracted to other people of your same gender. And we will have people like that in a service here today. Okay, we have, <laughs> yes. Okay, we have people with all kinds of struggles. Every kind. Many of them in this church. And, but you're sitting here today and you are a man and your attraction mechanism is actually not functioning the way that God intended at creation and you're attracted to other men or you're a woman here today and you're attracted to other women, okay? And you are often misunderstood by Christians who sometimes think that it's just a switch. You should just be able to flick a switch and be attracted to the opposite gender. And actually, it's not that easy. That's part of your struggle. If you could have just flipped a switch, you would have done it years ago. You wish more than anything there was a switch that you could flip and be attracted to the opposite gender, but it's just not that easy. And so I want to tell you three things. I don't have any easy, quick-fix-it solutions for you, just like I don't have any easy, quick-fix-it solutions for any of the big problems or hurts that people have brought in here this morning. Ultimately, we are in a fallen, broken world right now, and we're all busted, and we all have broken desires and, and yearnings to do things that are not part of God's plan. We're all broken like that. Ultimately, the, what we need, and this is why I'm so passionate about it, is for Jesus to come back and fix us permanently at the resurrection. That's what we need. And short of that, I don't have any easy, quick, fix-it solutions. And the Bible doesn't offer easy, quick, fix-it solutions either. So I just want to say three things to you here today if you're one of those people and you're feeling alone. First of all, I want to say to you, as a church, we love you. We do not think of your struggle as more vile, more wicked, or more disgusting as all the rest of the struggles that we bring here as well. Okay? It's not worse. We love you. We are so glad you're in our church family. Number two, you are not alone. You might feel sometimes like you are alone in your struggle. It's a particularly painful struggle. But there are other people here at this church who have had this struggle for many years. And many of them have been able to walk it with victory close to Jesus and healthily. And, and you are not alone. And we will pray with you. We do not reject you. We do not consider your problem as, no, we don't support that one. No, we will, anybody here who has a problem with sin, we're just all sinners who need God's grace desperately. Is that not true? Okay, so we love you and you are not alone. And lastly, you're not defined by sex or by your attractions. Okay? Millions of Christians over the years have lived joy-filled, fulfilled lives for the kingdom without ever having sex in their lives. Okay? And so they're not defined by that. There's millions of single Christians around the world today who are called also to give up their sexual desires. Uh, and, and many of them will never get married and they live joy-filled, fulfilling lives for the kingdom because our lives, sex is one small part and it's got one piece to play and that is in marriage between a man and a woman. And other than that, we're not defined by that. You don't have to despair about that, okay? And so that's so important, okay? And so now, back to attraction. Attraction itself, it's not the attraction that is lust, that is sinful, okay? I didn't choose. Attraction is not a choice. I didn't choose to be attracted to Ladon. I didn't go home one day and say, you know, she's a godly woman. Uh, you know, I really feel like she's compatible. 
I'm, I'm just going to be attracted to her. No, 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 no. I just was attracted to her. After that, I had to make choices. Okay? Because lust is a choice. Attraction is not a choice. And it's lust that Jesus is going after here, not attraction. Verse 28, I'm going to underline something there now. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, lustful intent, this is a choice. Jesus is not talking about, you know, you need to feel guilty because you are attracted to a pretty woman or a handsome man when they walk by. That is not lust. He says when you look at someone with lustful intent, you are making a choice. To look at someone, it's not seeing someone and they're attractive and you like to be around them and they're pretty or they're handsome and they have a big smile and they're wonderful people and you talk to them all the time at church or at work or whatever and it's totally fine and you have a relationship with them, no, no problem. But lust is now when I start to look at a person and have images in my mind, not because of a relationship, not because this is a wonderful person or an attractive person, but I'm now feeding a sexual appetite, not within marriage, one man and one woman, but I'm now feeding an appetite. I'm looking at them purely, not because of a relationship, but I'm purely looking at them for selfish reasons to gratify my selfish appetites. That is lust. Okay? Very important distinction. And again, I want to repeat here, this is not just for men. A lot of times, the moment you talk about lust, a lot of people just think, well, a lot of women just think, oh, that's, that's not a woman issue, that's a that's a man issue. I also want to say two things to that. First of all, um, increasingly we find in our culture today, and I don't know if it's always been or if we're just discovering it now or if it's something new that's because of the way our culture is, but increasingly we are, we are praying with pe- women and dealing with women who also struggle with pornography. I mean, the percentages are not as high as with men. Certainly men tend to be more visual, but it is a significant number that women are struggling with this issue as well. Secondly, a lot of women indulge in lust, but they just come at it from a different angle. Okay? Men might come at it more from the visual side of looking at pictures or images or, or whatever, but a lot of women have what I call emotional porn or intimacy porn, which is racy romance novels or, or certain romance movies. I'm not saying all romance movies, but some of them certainly, and racy romance novels where you have this, where women are, are reading these stories and getting into these stories where there's this, the, the hero is this man, and first of all, he's impossibly handsome and usually without a shirt, okay? And long hair. I don't know what the long hair, but maybe I need to grow mine out a bit. I don't know, but, but, um, um, and, but he's impossibly handsome, possibly strong. And at the same time, he's in touch with his feminine side. And he listens and he writes poetry. And, and women, he doesn't exist in the real world, okay? <laughs> there is no such man, all right? But anyway, so they, read, they have this fantasy life with a person who is not real and could not be real. And, uh, and, and, and that is it's the same thing. They're trying to have something that is only for two imperfect people together in marriage who are committed to each other for life. And they're trying to find satisfaction for that intimacy there outside of the marriage. And that's just as bad as some guy looking at dirty pictures. Okay? That's lustful intent. Now you say, well, why is it so bad? Okay? Why is it so bad? Jesus compares it to adultery. I mean, adultery, I get that. Why that's bad? Because it hurts the spouse, right? But why is it so bad? Why is lustful intent so bad? Why is looking? Why is imagining? Why is fantasizing? Why is that so bad, Jesus? Why are you so against that one? Okay? And uh, no doubt there's many reasons. But the fact that we even ask that question shows that we've bought into some of the biggest lies our culture is constantly selling. And there's a whole bunch. I had a list of them, but I can't go through all of them. I'll just talk about one. I'll talk about one of the biggest lies our culture sells, and that is this. 
if nobody gets hurt, what's the big deal? Isn't that true? If nobody gets hurt, what's the big deal? If two people agree to do it together, it's not a problem. If I do it by myself in the basement and I just get some gratification, it's not hurting anyone. How can that be wicked, right? And we have this, and it creeps into our Christian mindset too. And people even throw Bible verses on it. The biggest command is just love your neighbor as yourself. So if you're not hurting your neighbor, it must be fine. Wrong. The question is not, and we Christians cannot go down this road of compromise. The question is not, does this hurt somebody else according to my definition of hurting? Of course, if it is hurting people, it more clearly fits under that law of love your neighbor as yourself. But the bigger question is not just, is this hurting another human being according to my definition of hurting? The bigger question is, is this hurting God or is this an affront to his holiness? That's the thing. Morality is not determined by, hey, nobody got hurt, so it's not a big deal. We have to think about our relationship with God. What is an affront to his holiness? What is an affront to his purposes? Okay? And so the fact of the matter is that sex was made by God for one purpose, and that was to glue two people together in oneness in marriage. Anything outside of that is an affront to his holiness. See, again, sex is not just a bodily function. That's the other lie that goes with it's not hurting anybody. It's just like going to the bathroom, just a bodily function. Everybody has to do it, so whoever, whenever, whatever, it's not a big deal as long as it's not hurting anyone. Both of those are lies from our culture. God made sex to be a powerful act. It does things in your brain totally different than other bodily functions like going to the bathroom, which are just, you know, you have to do them. But they're totally different. It is a powerful, sex is a powerful act. In order to make two different people into one, it actually physiologically does things in your brain opening you up, giving you vulnerabilities, and making connections between two people that are, it's making profound changes on you. It's not just a bodily function. Profoundly changes you inside and outside. And so if you indulge in it outside of marriage, it will actually destroy you. It will actually destroy you. You know, I think of um, anything that is powerful or strong can both be very good and very bad. I mean, I think of crazy glue. Crazy glue is good for people like me who are not handy with anything, so if it's broken, just crazy glue, okay? I think it's wonderful. I mean, you crazy glue things together, often they're stronger than they were at the beginning, okay? But you wouldn't let your kids play with crazy glue, I hope, okay? Um, because you glue two little fingers together, or you glue your sister's hand to the counter, or her mouth, or whatever, it's horrible, right? That crazy glue can be very good because it's strong. It can also be very deadly. It's, it's the same thing with sex. It, it, sex taps in. In order to bring two people into one, sex taps into uh, very deep and strong urges and passions that God has in us that are there expressly so that this, this incredible thing of oneness can happen within marriage. And so within each of us are these latent desires deep within us. They're very strong. They're very passionate. They have to be in order to bring two people together. Okay? Now the thing is, sex taps into those things in order to open the two people up to bring them together. These very strong, passionate urges and, and drives and desires. Okay? Now, if you tap into those desires and drives and passions within a committed marriage between a man and a woman, there are safety restraints that will keep it from destroying you. Like I said, a sex is not just a bodily function. It, it, there are deep things in there driving Deep, strong passions. You open up those passions 
It's like open, it can be like opening up a Pandora's box. You open up those things, it can either be for very good or it can be for very bad. If you do it inside of marriage, there are restraints in marriage that keep it from getting out of control and destroying you. For example, one of the restraints that's built into marriage is the fact that in order to have sex, you're dependent on another person. Right there, that's a barrier keeping this thing in check because you tap into those passions, but you can't just, you can't just, you can't tap into them whenever you want, however you want, wherever you, if you're in marriage, you're dependent on another person to fulfill those desires, and that's a built-in restraint right there. You can't just whenever you want. You're dependent on another person. Okay, that's a built-in restraint for these very powerful urges. Secondly, God made men and women different. This is also an important part of the restraint on sex within marriage. Okay, and so now I'm going to make some generalities, and within every couple and different people, there's, there's exceptions and things don't always work exactly, but as a general rule, men tend to be more motivated by the physical act of sex, and women tend to be more motivated by emotional intimacy, talking, getting to know each other. Well, God made it that way. Because what's supposed to happen in a healthy marriage is the man is supposed to channel his energy and desire for the physical act of sex into meeting the woman's need for emotional intimacy. And the woman is supposed to take her need and desire and energy for emotional intimacy and channel that into meeting the man's physical need for sex. And together, what's happening is that they're meeting each other's needs. And so sex becomes the culmination of an act of, in a healthy marriage, selflessness and not selfishness. And so you have these powerful drives inside of you, but within marriage, you're accessing them, in a, you're, at least in a healthy marriage is what it's supposed to be, is you're accessing them in a selfless way, restrained by the fact that you're dependent on another person to engage in those desires. And all of this puts a very safe wall around you so that the sex act itself doesn't become this over-consuming monster in your life that dominates you and enslaves you. But if you tap into those very powerful urges and passions and desires that are inside of you, and they're inside of you because God made it so that if, there's, if you are married and in intimacy, you can just do this wonderful thing. But if you tap into those desires and passions that are deep within you and that are very strong and you do it outside of marriage, outside of the restraints of one man, one woman, what you do is you create a monster because now you are tapping into these powerful forces, but you are not tapping into them in a selfless way that is reliant on someone else and that is with a real person. You are tapping into them in a selfish way. And you are poisoning your soul because when you tap into those powerful urges and desires in a selfish way, it poisons your soul and makes you more narcissistic and more self-centered than you were before. And the more you indulge in those appetites, here's the thing, the appetite grows and grows and grows. And here's the, the, the worst thing about it, it never satisfies. It never satisfies. And the reason it doesn't satisfy is to go back to what we talked about earlier in this message is God did not make sex to be an end in itself. He made sex to be an, a means to an end. The end is intimacy between two people in marriage. That's the end. That's, that's the thing. And the thing is, intimacy between God and other people is the only thing that ultimately, whether you're a man or a woman, is the only thing that ultimately will satisfy you. Oh, yes, sex acts and all sort of stuff, you know, can give you short-term gratification, physical gratification, but they cannot fill your soul's need for intimacy. 
And so what happens is, in a marriage, the sexual drive is supposed to motivate the couple into, into making intimacy together, and the intimacy gives them satisfaction and joy in their life as they find intimacy together. It's this wonderful thing, because God made us to be relational beings. But it's not the sex that satisfies, it's the intimacy. But now you tap into this uh, in a lustful way, outside of marriage, alone in your basement on the computer looking at images or with a racy romance novel or in the various different ways that people engage in sex outside of marriage, you're trying now to find fulfillment. You're, you're trying to fill an appetite with sex. But the thing is, sex is supposed to lead to intimacy. If you don't get intimacy at the end of the act, it leaves you empty. And so you get short-term physical gratification, which in the end leaves you more empty than you were in the beginning. And what happens is you create a monster. You create a monster because you can never fill it. And so the appetite grows and grows and grows. And so what it took to feed the monster at the beginning begins to change. You need, you need more sinful images. You need increasingly sinful actions, whatever it is, trying to feed this beast. And you need to do it more frequently. And more and more, he always wants more, more, more. And you're never full. It's a bottomless pit. It's bondage. It's utter bondage. And it enslaves you because God made this, these passions to be very strong because they have to be strong to knit a couple together in marriage. But now you've tapped into them outside of the restraints of marriage. And now this thing is a monster that enslaves your life. And he wants more and more and more. And you know, I read a couple articles this week and studying the brains of, because in our culture, increasingly we have men and women who are addicted to sex. They're addicted to it. And they've been doing brain studies on these people. And, they, and, they, and, one of the, and a couple of the articles I read yesterday, um, these studies that they've done on the brain, literally your brain, as you make lustful choices, your brain is changing. That's how powerful the sex urge is. And they looked at it, and what they found is the areas you know, relating to relationship and pleasure and those things, and the more a person engages in lust, those areas get weaker and weaker. They, what they found was interesting. People who are addicted to sex and addicted to por pornography and things like that they actually get less and less pleasure from gratifying their sexual urges the more they're into it, but their cravings get stronger and stronger. Is that not hell? You're hungrier and hungrier, and you're less and less satisfied. And you're hungrier and hungrier and hungrier, and you're less and less satisfied. That's hell! The devil comes to you and says, freedom is doing whatever you want to do. My friends, that is not freedom. That is not freedom. Because that's, They'll, they'll, lust will become your master and you will serve it and you will, not be able to, you will not be able to do whatever you want. It will leave you depressed. It will leave you broken in your relationships because it actually affects you relationally in your brain. It'll affect you in every which way. It will poison your soul. And so when you awaken it, this is why Jesus has this urgency. This is why Solomon said, now Solomon knew a thing or two about lust, Okay? And he was not victorious at the end of his life. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit earlier in his life, he wrote this in Song of Songs 2 verse 7. Promise me, O women. Now, he only speaks to the women, and that's maybe part of his problem early on, okay? Um, he should have also spoken to men. This is for you too, Solomon. But anyway, promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and wild deer, and I don't know why, but the gazelles and the wild deer, but here's the important part, not to awaken love until the time is right. These are powerful urges, okay? Lust is not attraction, okay? 
Attraction is just, it's something that happens and you feel attracted to certain people and you don't, and wonderful people often, and beauty and pretty, it's not that. But what you do next, that is, to awaken those lustful sexual desires. Solomon said, don't wake them up. Don't wake them up until you're within the confines of a marriage, man and woman. Or this thing will grow and consume you. And so Jesus goes on to say this about lust, back in the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 29 If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. This is the seriousness of it. For it is better that you lose one of your members and that your whole body be thrown into hell. Jesus says, it'll destroy your soul. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members and that your whole body be Go into hell. So you see the urgency of Jesus on this matter of lust. It's a huge deal. It'll own you. It'll enslave you. It'll destroy you if you don't watch it. Okay? And so Jesus comes out, maximum urgency. He says, if your eyes causing you to sin, pop it out. Hands causing you to sin, cut it off. Okay? Now some of you are going, oh my goodness. I'm going to hell, right? Because you fell into lust this last week. You fell into lust maybe yesterday. I don't know. But, but some of you are just going, I'm... I'm going to hell, right? The moment I mess up, I'm going to hell. That, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about you mess up, you make a mistake. None of us is perfect. We all make mistakes. Okay? Jesus is not talking about someone who is genuinely following Jesus and genuinely seeking after him and genuinely going after purity, but he's not there yet or she's not there yet. And they're on the journey and they're making, and they're making headway and the Holy Spirit's changing them, but they're not there yet. Jesus is not talking about that. We all make mistakes. You're not going to hell for a mistake. You're not going to hell for, for being repentant and going the right way. But I'll tell you what, what we do see here. You want to know how you're saved? You want to know how you know you're on the way to heaven? You want to know how you know that the Spirit of Jesus is in you? See, being a Christian is not just what you believe up here and go to church. That's, that, that our culture has reduced Christianity to something ridiculous. Being a Christian is having the Spirit of Jesus inside of you. You, you actually know Him and you walk with Him. Now, you're not perfect yet until the resurrection, but you're growing in holiness and sanctification. If the Spirit of Jesus is in you, you will be growing if you have any fellowship with Him at all. So, how do I know if the Spirit of Jesus is in me? Is, uh, you, I'll tell you one way you know. Yeah, you might not be perfect. You might still fall into lust until the resurrection comes. You will have mess-ups and sins and stuff like that. But here's how you know if the Spirit of Jesus is inside of you is you'll have this kind of urgency in your life about sin, about lust and other kinds of sin too. A person who has the Spirit of Jesus inside of them, they won't be perfect, but I'll tell you, when they fall into lust, when they fall into sin, there's an urgency in them. I will not have this in my life. They're not apathetic about it. If you have the Spirit of Jesus in you and you're falling, in, and you're falling into lust all the time, you're going to be going all out war with that lust. If, if you think that you have the Spirit of Jesus in you and you're in lust all the time and you just think, Thank goodness Jesus has forgiven me of that and there's no urgency. Look at the urgency of Jesus. If you just think, oh, thank goodness for the grace of God, I'm okay. That's not the Spirit of Jesus speaking. This is the Spirit of Jesus speaking. Lust is awful and it's serious. And so if you have the Spirit of Jesus in you, you're going to be serious about it that if you're falling into lust... Yeah, you're not perfect. That doesn't mean you're on your way to hell. But if you are not worried about it, that would worry me about the state of your soul. 
That if you're following Jesus, you are willing to go all out. It's not half measures. Pop an eye, cut off a hand. Now, of course, okay. Stop there for a moment, too. Put the spoons away, okay, the knives. He doesn't really mean take out your eye or your hand. Well, it is true. He's serious about the fact it's better to lose a hand than to go to hell. Is that not true? And it's better to lose an eye than to go to hell. He's, he's deadly serious about that. But he is speaking with a bit of hyperbole here, and the reason that I know this is because popping an eye won't actually stop you from lusting. You can lose your eyesight, and you know what you'll do? Once you get over the whole fact that you're blind, you'll just fantasize images in your head. It won't stop you from lusting. You can cut off a hand, and you know, once you get over the initial shock, you'll, you'll go back to lusting. Cutting off, the only way, if you're going to try and stop lust by cutting off a, bo- a body part, you'll have to cut off your head, okay? Um, so it's not effective. Jesus isn't saying this is actually his effective strategy. What he is saying is, are you willing to do anything, not half-hearted measures, are you willing to do anything? If you have the Spirit of Jesus in you, and whether it's a lust problem or it could be a different sin problem. Maybe you're sitting here today and, oh, I love this one because I don't have this problem. Well, it could be something else. But if you have the Spirit of Jesus in you, this is how serious, this is how holy he is. If you actually are in relationship with him, if there's a lust issue in your life or some sin issue in your life, you are all out war, I will do whatever it takes. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. I'm praying for freedom. And I'm, I'm getting inner healing. Well, it, good. Those are important things too. Okay? But Jesus says, I actually want you to go all out. Get rid of anything in your life that if it's bringing you into a place where you have things in your life that I hate, you've got to get rid of it. You might have a smartphone. Don't talk about it to me. You might want to just plug your ears right now. And you have a lust problem. Having a smartphone is not a problem. Lots of people have smartphones, okay? But maybe you have a smartphone and you have a problem with looking at dirty pictures on your smartphone. And you say, well, I can't get rid of the smartphone. First of all, it's trendy. I just bought it. Everybody loves it. I'm like the coolest guy of my friends because I just got it so sleek and hip and good. And plus, it has functions I absolutely need for work. Okay? But you're looking at dirty pictures on it. Well, yeah, but I'm praying about that. Jesus doesn't say, pray about it. Yeah, you should pray about it. Yeah, you should get accountability. Jesus says, this is actually about being radical. You want the power of the Holy Spirit flowing in your life, you get rid of anything in your life that's bringing in sin. This is actually serious. You're, you're playing with, would you rather have the trendy, the apps and all that stuff, or would you rather have heaven and eternal life? So maybe Jesus is saying, you need to chuck the smartphone and get a dumb phone, okay? <laughs> you just need to get the dumbest phone you can find, and you can't do anything bad with that thing. You can, all you can do is dial numbers, okay? It could be cable TV, it could be anything. Are they bad? Is it bad to have a smartphone? No, you say, yeah, but my... That guy, he has a smartphone, yeah, and he doesn't have a lust problem. And they have cable TV and it's no problem. They follow Jesus and they're all out, yeah. But what is Jesus saying to you? What is happening in your life? What is the doorway to sin in your life? Lust will destroy your soul. And if the Spirit of Jesus is inside of you, you're going to attack that thing all out. You know, one of the things people, I hear people throwing around a lot now is, you know, the body is a temple of the Lord. And most of the time when I hear it in our culture now, they're talking about eat healthy and exercise. So your body is a temple of the Lord, so don't eat chips, don't drink pot. Well, first of all, amen. That is part of what your body is a temple of the Lord means. It means that you shouldn't be an idiot, okay? You shouldn't just eat junk food and never exercise and all that sort of stuff. Now, of course. But you know what? Your body is a temple of the Lord, 
and when, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, what he's saying in the Bible and what the Bible is saying, but your body is the temple of the Lord, it's, yeah, it's a bit about, you know, eating chips and junk food and stuff. It's that much. You want to know what your body is the temple of the Lord really means? Okay, the Spirit of Jesus wants to live inside of you. That is a whole lot bigger than just don't eat chips. I mean, it's partly that, okay? Don't be an idiot. Be healthy. Good. But 99% of your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit is... Jesus, the Spirit just wants to live in you. Why would you bring impurity and sin and anger and gross stuff into your life? Why would you say those things? Why would you look at those things? Why would you think about those things? If your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, we should be radical about lives that are pure. If Jesus was standing here on stage today, what would we not dare to think or say or do in this room here today? And if the Spirit of Jesus is living in your heart, what should we not dare to entertain, to look at, to read, to watch, to think about? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is a temple of God. It's so much more than just eat healthy. It is think and be and pursue holiness. Holiness. You say again, yeah, but I'm praying for freedom. I'm I'm getting inner healing. Excellent, excellent. That's so good. That's not enough. You want, you want power in your life? I know lots of young people. They want more miracles. I do too. Amen. I want miracles. I want to see more people healed here. I love that. Okay, but they want more miracles in the church. They want more power in their life. You want to know what brings power? You want to, you want to know what brings power into a life? What breaks shackles off of a life? Okay? I'll tell you three things. Okay? First thing is just repentance. You know, a lot of people are seeking after power. I want more miracles, and they spend all their time thinking about miracles. You don't get more miracles by thinking about miracles. You don't get more power from the Holy Spirit by looking, by thinking about power. Okay? Three things release power in your life. One, repentance. Just godly sorrow over sin. Right there, that alone, turning from your sins, will release God's power in your life. You'll see more miracles and more power of God in your life after repentance than you ever did before when you were just praying about miracles but you weren't repenting. Number two, fellowship. Fellowship with others and fellowship with Jesus. Just being with him and loving him and being with godly people who love him. That's huge. Then you want to know the third thing though? It's, it's so simple. It's not easy but it's simple. You want, to, you want to unleash the power of God in your life to overcome sin, to see God work powerfully in your life? I'll tell you what the key is. Radical obedience. Radical obedience. Okay? You want to pray? That's what Jesus is talking about here. This is Jesus talking about lust. You know, you can have a 10-step program to overcoming lust, and lots of the stuff will be good, no doubt. And there's, there's a place for that in the church. But when Jesus talks about lust, I want you to notice it's not a 10-step program. You got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. It's not complicated. Is it? It's not complicated. He just says, go to war with it. Get rid of anything in your life that is bringing lust into your life and follow me. And if you do that, you'll break the shackles of lust in your life. It might not be overnight, but it will happen. Radical obedience. You want to know, maybe you're here today and lust isn't your problem. It could be a, a different thing. You want to know what is one of the most powerful prayers other than, Lord Jesus, I give my life to you, like asking him into your heart. You want to know after that, the most powerful prayer you can ever pray? I'll tell it to you right now. And I'm going to dare some of you to pray it at the end of this service and this week at home. 
one of the most powerful prayers you can ever pray is this. Lord, I'll do whatever you want. It's not complicated. One of the most powerful prayers you can ever pray. Lord, I will do whatever you want. Scary prayer. But you want to discover that Jesus is good? You want to trust him? You want to experience Jesus in your life and see his Holy Spirit doing amazing work in your life? Jesus, I will do whatever you want. And if you mean that prayer, you take an area of your life. It could be lust. It could be anger. It could be a problem at work. And you take that area and you say, Jesus, fine. I'm done stressing about this and trying to rationalize. See, we rationalize. This, this is the biggest problem to getting the Holy Spirit to set us free. We think, well, I'm praying about it. I'm getting inner healing. Yeah, but you should also give up this thing in your life over here. Well, I don't need to do that because I'm doing this. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. All the prayer and inner healing in the world won't matter at all if you don't obey. If you don't obey, you're not trusting. You're not giving yourself to me. Yes, you need the inner healing and the prayer and all that sort of stuff, but it's radical obedience. The moment you give Jesus, okay, I will do whatever you want. And sometimes it'll take a little wrestling to get there, but you get to that point, oh, joy floods your soul. I'll tell you, there isn't a happier prayer. It's scary on the front end, but the moment you pray that prayer to Jesus, there isn't a happier prayer you can pray. The Holy Spirit floods into your life and you go, oh, it's in his hands. Whatever you want. Is it a lust issue? Okay, Jesus, I'm tired. I've fought this thing for 10 years. And I fought it with rationalization, and this is okay, and that's okay. I'll get rid of anything in my life you want me to get rid of, and I just want you, and I want to have fellowship with you. And now he begins to speak to you, and you do whatever he says. You pop an eye, you cut a hand, whatever it is. And of course, not actually the body parts, right? Like I said before. And Jesus says, this is how you break shackles. It's surrender. Did you know what this is about, what devotions are about? This is what church is all about? You know, people have devotions, and they think devotions are an end in themselves. I'm having my devotions all the time, but I just don't feel Jesus in my life. I just don't have any joy. And I have devotions every single day. I go to church every week. I'll tell you why. You aren't surrendered. Devotions, the point of devotions is that you are connecting with Jesus, and you're surrendering to him again for the day. The moment you are surrendered to Jesus, that is the place where Jesus is waiting to meet you. Oh, I've been here all along. That is where joy floods your heart. It's scary and awesome at the same time. And that's when shackles begin to fall off. I'm not saying overnight because Jesus is going to test you. Is this just a one-day, one-week fad or is this the real thing? I'm going to do whatever you want. And you go to give Jesus every day and you say, I will give you whatever you want. I will break this with whatever you say. And you go to war and you say, my body is a temple. That means I'm going to war with anything in my life that you don't like because I want you to live in me. And you get this attitude of radical obedience. You begin to surrender. As you begin to surrender, it's not harsh. It's not awful. It's life. It's life if you'll dare to do it. So we're going to worship now. Before we do, I just want to lead you in a prayer. i got a weekly challenge, but I'm, I'm not going to do the weekly challenge right now. We'll send that out. It'll be on Facebook. It'll be all that stuff. I just want to pray with you right now because this is about surrender. You want victory in your life? You want to experience Jesus in your life again? Surrender. If you're holding on to something in your life and you're holding on to it because you think that thing will make you happy, you know what? In the end, it'll rob you of all your joy in following Jesus. People who try to follow Jesus 
and hold on to something over here and not submit it to Jesus at the same time, then you know what happens to them? They lose their joy in both. That's what happens to a lot of us Christians. We want to follow Jesus, and then we want to have this thing, but not have it submitted to Jesus. Because we think that thing will give us happiness. And in trying to follow both, we lose our happiness in both. If you want to have happiness, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. You have to let go of this thing and let Jesus take care of you. And actually, you'll find him to be good. He doesn't want to take away from you. He wants to fill you with joy. So I'm just going to pray. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit as you bow your heads. I want you to bow your heads right now. Close your eyes. I'm going to ask Jesus to reveal to you any area of your life where you're not surrendered. And maybe you're here today and it's lust. There's going to be a bunch of people here today. It actually is just lust. That's the one we specifically talked about today. Some of you, it might be something different. But you are not, you have not been willing to go all out for Jesus in your war against lust or in whatever. And so I'm going to ask Jesus to show us an area where we have not surrendered. And I'm going to ask him, and I'm going to say, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to say, Jesus, we're willing to do whatever you want. And then let him speak to you whatever he wants. That's probably the most incredible thing you can ever do spiritually in terms of following Jesus, making a difference in your life. Lord Jesus, you are Lord of this church. You are Lord of our lives. Right now, our heads are bowed. Maybe you have a pen and paper. Maybe you have a phone. If you need to write something down, you just do that. You just make a strong mental note. Jesus, I want you to show each of us just one area. No doubt there are multiple ones for all of us, Jesus, but in your grace, we just don't overwhelm us, I pray. Show us one area where we are not surrendered to you. Is it an area of lust? We're hanging on to something that's bringing lust into our lives. We're not willing to get rid of it. Is it another area entirely? Would you show each person here, is there an area of my life I am not surrendered over to you? Whatever the first thought is that comes to your mind, you just write it down. Make a mental note about it. And now I'm going to pray the most life-filled, powerful prayer you can ever pray. I'm going to pray for you, and you just listen. Jesus, we are willing in this area to do whatever you tell us to do because you're good. And we're going to meet you on the other side of that whatever you want us to do. Whether it be in the area of lust, whether it be in that other area that you just showed us, Lord, show us one thing. We will do whatever you want us to do. Show us if there's something you want us to get rid of, if there's something you want us to do. Write down just whatever he shows you. Jesus, I pray that you would give me courage this week. I pray you give everyone in this service here courage this week. Oh, Lord, it's life. It is life to know you, to surrender to you is life. We can break off the shackles of lust in surrender. We can break these things by surrendering our lives totally over to you. Give us the courage to ask you that question repeatedly this week. Lord Jesus, Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. In your name we pray. Amen.